Uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in a few moments with verse 26. My wife, Joy, can sometimes come into the room and I'm involved in something and I don't know she's there. And all of a sudden she will say, Ken! And I just about jump out of my skin. I wonder if that's what happened to Mary when the angel came to her and said, Greetings! I wonder if she jumped. I bet she did. We're going to look at that passage of Scripture today when the, where the angel came to speak to Mary. And most of the time we look at this passage of Scripture from, you know, we're looking at Mary. And just about all the sermons I've ever seen from this, and most of them I've ever preached from it, have to do with Mary. But I want us to focus primarily on the Lord Jesus, because that's what we've been trying to do this Christmas season. So notice what the angel says about Jesus when he's talking to Mary. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at the, his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked, the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren, it is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This morning, I'd like for us to think about Jesus and to think about Jesus as our all-sufficient King. As our all-sufficient King. Jesus is the one who answers to these things that uh, we have here in this particular passage of Scripture. And he talked about several different things. Now, one of the things that he mentioned very close to the beginning of what he had to say to her, is that you are to call his name Jesus. You are to call his name Jesus. Jesus means God saves. Simple. God saves. And you might remember that that's the thing that was first given to, uh, the, uh, to Joseph when... The angel went to him and said to him in a dream that you don't have to be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So he was to be given the name Jesus. God saves. Setting the stage already that this Jesus is to be the Savior. 
Another thing that he says here in verse 32, he will be great. He will be great. He is a, to be a great Savior. Uh, to be great means that you're superior in character or in the, you know, the, what you're able to accomplish. So Jesus is the one who is great. And again and again, that gets put over to uh, different verses of Scripture that remind us of that. In being great, at the end of his ministry, before he went back to heaven, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Can you imagine someone so great that he has all authority? All authority is given to him. He is above every authority in this world. He is the one who is always the one who is great and always has that kind of authority. And with that kind of authority, he is able to rule. And one day it's going to be known throughout the world that he is the one who is greater than all. Philippians chapter 2, we read these words, talking about Christ. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the one who is great, and one day they're going to recognize that He is the one who is always the great one. Great before all, and all will recognize it. It's recognized even now in heaven. There's a passage of Scripture which gives us a glimpse of heaven, and it talks about the angels that are around the throne of God, and it says, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. And what are they saying? Listen, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's Jesus. That's that great one who was promised Mary will be born. He said, you will be great. And as the one who will be great, he is the one who is also the one who came as the Son of God. Imagine that. The angel said that he's going to be the Son of the Most High. Now, consider that phrase, Most High. You run across that phrase a lot of times in the Bible when it's talking about God. It means the God who is superior to every other God. He is the most high God. You, you get it way back over in the book of Genesis. Well, you remember when Abraham Mel, Melchizedek, the priest of Salem, he was a priest of the most high God. And he said that he was the creator of all. Many times you run across that phrase in the Psalms. In, in Psalm chapter 7, the psalmist said, I will give thanks to the Lord because of His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace and they weren't burned, and old King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace and saw that they weren't burned. He said to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. He recognized if a God could do that, He was the Most High God. When Jesus was on 
here on earth. He, of course, worked to heal people. And in Mark chapter 5, there was the demon-possessed man that you know, lived out in the graveyard. And when Jesus came to him, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Even the demons recognize that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. When Stephen was giving his sermon to the ones that were soon going to stone him, he says the Most High does not dwell in buildings made with human hands. God is the exalted Most High and Jesus is the Son of the Most High. And he talks again later in this passage about being called the Son of God there in verse 35. Jesus is the Son of God. You see, Jesus came in an unusual way. Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, Mary could figure that out. How, how can this be? And do you notice what the angel told her? He said, the power of the most, the, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's another place in the Bible where you get the, the, the Holy Spirit being over something. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And what happened? Creation. God brought into being all that is. That same Spirit would hover over the Virgin Mary. And what would take place in her room was not so much human conception as it was creation. Son of God coming into the world. Jesus is unique. He is the one who stands above all others because of His unique birth. He is truly the Son of God. A good many years ago, 20 or so years ago, there was a movie entitled, Oh God. And for those of you who are older, you would remember George Burns. George Burns played God. And at one point in that movie, you know, he, he was asked, well, you know, is Jesus your son? And he said, yes. And so is Buddha. And so is Muhammad. And no, they weren't virgin born. They weren't raised from the dead. Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. No other can hold a candle to Him. He is the Son of God by the, His special birth. He is the Son of God proved by His resurrection. It's not just the virgin birth that proves His divinity. It's His resurrection as well. He is God among us. And do you remember what John said about this? You remember what John said in the prologue to his gospel? He said, you know, in the beginning was the Word. Now that's referring to Jesus. You know, I get to preach to this group back here, all of this group for a change. You know. yeah. Don't do like Newberry did. Newberry, I guess they were listed to me, but they said part of the time they were watching my ball spot grow. <laughs> John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Imagine. The Word became flesh and lived among us. From the genesis of Jesus in Mary's womb, He developed like any other human being, was born into the world in a natural way, and lived among us. And what is it trying to say to us? That the eternal Christ the one who has always existed, came into human form and he could understand what it's like when you and I live our lives upon this earth and have to wrestle with the problems that we face. He understands. Not only is he the Son of God, he's the child of Mary. And he brings together God and man in a unique way that none other ever has nor ever will. Something unique and special about Jesus. He's the Son of God. And then what else does the Scripture say? There in verse 32 it says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Back a thousand years before Jesus was born, God made a promise to David. God said to David, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That promise is being fulfilled in Jesus. And He will come. And He will, is the King. He is the King that, <clears throat> that sits upon David's throne. <clears throat> when He was before Pilate being tried, Pilate said, are you the King of the Jews? Jesus said, you're right in saying so. He was the King. He was crucified for being King. Remember what they put over His head when He was crucified? Jesus Christ, the son of the, the, the king of the Jews. He's the king. He's the eternal king. He's our king. Remember when Israel decided that they wanted a king and they went to the prophet Samuel and said, we, we want a king like the other nations. We want a king who will lead us. We want a king who will fight our battles for us. Well, that's what we've got in Jesus. We've got a king who will lead us. He will lead us into the paths of righteousness. He will lead us out of sin. He will lead us to heaven. He's the pioneer of our faith. He knows the way. He is the way. He gets us there to the place of eternal life. Jesus is also the king who fights our battles for us. He fights those spiritual battles that we can't fight, that we didn't have a prayer of winning. And he won them. He's our king. But something else that it says, he says, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. It's an everlasting kingdom. But you just about everything you get for Christmas. Well, no, I take that back. But everything you get for Christmas isn't going to last. You got an iPad? Great thing. A couple of years, it's going to be out of date. Buy a new car, it'll last a pretty good while. The first car I ever bought was a used car. It had 98,000 miles on it. I drove that car to 136,000 miles. And that was amazing that a car would last that long. Now, if a car doesn't last 150,000 miles, it's a piece of junk. But sooner or later, it's going to wear out. Build a magnificent building. Build a house. Build a skyscraper. Build a church. Sooner or later it's going to be gone. 
But Jesus' kingdom lasts forever. It's never going to end. It's an eternal kingdom. Even in the book of Daniel, we read about that. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All people, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Fantastic, everlasting kingdom. Remember what I read from Isaiah? He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Jesus is the one who has the everlasting kingdom. So Jesus is our all-sufficient king. He's our all-sufficient king. He's the one who saves. He is the one who is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. He is the one who is great. He is the one who is king. He is the one who is king forever. He is our all-sufficient king. You know, we acknowledge that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Thy kingdom come. We're saying, Jesus, we want you to come and be king. We want you to come and judge. We want you to come and destroy Satan. We want you to come and destroy death. We want you to come and establish your righteousness and your peace and your joy and your heavenly home, which we get to live forever. We acknowledge that. But in acknowledging that, do you realize that if you're really doing that, you are making yourself subject to the king? You become his subject. Remember the old stories about the king and the knights and the fair maidens and all that went on with that? You know, when the knights would come to the king and they would pledge the king their fortune and their strength and their very lives. Fairy tale, we say. Good story, but tell you what, Jesus is the king who expects us to pledge to him our fortunes and our strength and our very lives. He deserves it. Because he is the special king that is going to come and establish his eternal kingdom. He's already started. He's already won the victory over sin. He lived a perfect life and never sinned. He's already won the victory over death. He's been raised from the dead. He's already won the victory over Satan because of the cross. Satan is doomed. Our Savior won the victory and he's going to return. He is the coming king who will one day establish his kingdom forever. Jesus, our all-sufficient king. Now, we said we're going to look at Jesus. But we do need to look a little bit at Mary. Because it's so remarkable what Mary did after the angel shared all of those things with her, she responded in faith. She responded in faith. You know what faith is? Faith is more than believing facts. She didn't just say to the angel, okay, I believe you. She said, I believe and I'll do whatever God wants me to do. You, you see, faith is not just believing facts. You can believe that George Washington was the 
first president of this country. You can believe that Ford Motor Company is an American car company. You know, that make any difference how you live. You can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Savior, that He is great, that He is eternal, that He is coming. You can believe those things in your head, and if it doesn't make any difference in how you live, then something's wrong. You see, if we've really got Jesus as our King, it's going to make a difference in how we live. It's going to make a difference in our relationships. It's going to make a difference in our character. It's going to make a difference in our morals. It's going to make a difference in how we drive. It's going to make a difference in how we work. It's going to make a difference in how we love other people, whether it's our mates, our children, our parents, our co-workers, our schoolmates, our friends. It's going to make a difference. Our priorities are going to be different. Our priority is going to be serving that eternal King and following Him and obeying Him and glorifying Him with our lives. Real faith doesn't just involve our heads. It involves our heads. We've got to believe, yeah. But it also involves our hearts because it involves our allegiance. We're giving Him our allegiance. We're saying, yes, Jesus, we'll follow you. And we're giving Him our hands and saying, yes, Jesus, I will serve you however you want me to serve you. Mary, set the example for us. In verse 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. Mary listened Mary believed. Mary considered it. And Mary surrendered. You know the facts. How are you going to respond? Will you believe them? That's the starting place. After you believe them, will you believe that Jesus is the, your king, great king, king beyond imagination, a king beyond all others. And will you give him your allegiance? Will you follow him? And will you say to him, Lord, you take my life. I know that you can do for me more than I ever could do for myself. I know that you can do more through me than I could ever do on my own. Will you give your allegiance? to the eternal King. Will you accept Him as your King? Accept Him as your Savior. Let Him forgive you of your sin. Give you a place in His kingdom, His eternal kingdom, so that you can live forever. Would you receive Him as your Lord and Savior today, your King and your Savior today? Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you've just been playing. Maybe you said, oh God, yeah, I've just been believing in my head. It's time for me to believe with my heart. Do you need to believe with your heart today? Maybe you believe in your head. You believe in your heart. Is it making a difference to how you live? It's supposed to. What's the Lord saying to you today? Are you listening? And if you're listening, will you submit to what He wants? You accept Jesus as Savior today. Come and share that with us. If you say, I've accepted Jesus, I want to be baptized, come and share that. If you want to put your membership in the church, come and share that. If you want to come and just say, 
I pledge my allegiance anew to eternal King Jesus. You can do that today. An invitation to him this morning is number 217.